I knew you would give me one. I bet you would, Nickel. I've got stuff that you don't have. Yeah, I knew you would. Yeah, I knew you would give me one. I bet you would, Nickel. I've got stuff that you don't have. And when we talk next, I will ask you about them. Okay, I, yeah, that's true, and I probably would go for that then. And if you bring one up, I'll give you a nickel. There you go. Yep, I've lost a few nickels to Patricia, that's for sure. So, again, folks, have a good night. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lynn, and thanks so much for calling. Okay, you folks take care. You too. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And you can give us a call at 714-545-2071. Patricia's got to be a happy bunny rabbit. She comes up with these topics. We don't have to work. Yeah, everybody can. What do you mean we don't have to work? I had to go out and fight clients. Oh, that's right. Oh, oh, you give me so much homework. But we're looking for information about premiums. Did you send in box tops? Did you cut out anything from cereal boxes? Did you find anything in your Cracker Jack boxes? Whatever you have um, or had or know about, give us a call and let us know. About them. Did you discover the big premium that Space Patrol had, Patricia? Oh, oh I, you know what? I, I had to stop short before I got to the end of the list that I was looking at. Let me oh. see if I've got a Space Patrol. Probably not. What was on Space Patrol? Space Patrol had an interesting premium, everybody. Maybe you can let us know. 714-545-207. They had a contest, is what I'm thinking of. And you, Space Patrol, and you have, does anybody know, if you won the contest, what was your prize? For Space Patrol. Space Patrol, the TV series. Okay, now we're waiting for Space Patrol, the TV series? Yeah. Is that what you said, the TV series? That's cheating. I know, but they also do radio. I know it. Okay, now we're waiting for somebody who found a premium on Space Patrol television, I want to tell you what I found about a Kellogg's Pep Jet Plane Mechanical Ring Superman promotion. Wow. Isn't this incredible? Wow. 1948. I I want to read this description to you. It is, this is one that's for sale, by the way, and it was a dealer who has this ad up on the internet, and it is described as brilliant golden luster Covers a ring base with adjustable bands. Left and right upper sides show a jet plane in flight. The ring top, this is a ring that you put on your finger, has a shaft to hold small silver luster jet plane, which shoots into the air when the launching lever is depressed. Now, how's that for a complicated premium? Good grief. And what's this supposed to be? They just cook, cook dinner and everything for you? What the, what is this supposed to be? It, what is it supposed to be? Uh-huh, a ring? It's a ring, yeah. And it's got this jet plane mounted on the top of the ring, and it actually launches. Uh, it's a spring-operated launch. I mean, I can't imagine giving this away to a kid. I wonder how much it costs. But if you wanted to buy it today, it will cost you $175. That's true. No call. You are on air with Patricia. Hey, Patricia Ewald and Bob Rowe. Hello, Bob. How you doing? Good, you? I am fine, thank you. Yeah, I started dialing before all of a sudden it turned to Space Control, uh, Patrol. And to be honest, I don't even remember the television show Space Patrol. What year was that on? 
Between 1952 to 55. Uh, that's why I don't remember it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's cheating to throw TV in here tonight. <laughs> uh, I, I really do. When I was a kid, almost everything was box tops. If you, you know, every, every, like, I, all right, when I was a kid, I used to run around the neighborhood with a silly sheet attached to the back of my shirt thinking I was Superman, right? You know, running around with my arms out in front of me, you know, just... Hey. Making a flying sound. Okay, so I was a Superman addict. And Superman was presented by Kellogg. And they used to always have things that you, you, you send in three box tops and 25 cents or 10 cents or something. Uh-huh. But the one I remember, I, I, you remember in the movie Christmas Story how Ralphie was so disappointed at the Ovaltine decoder ring? No. Oh, okay, you never saw that. I, I must uh, have. Patricia's not a movie watcher. I'm not. You know that, huh? Yeah, I, I admitted that one night to you. Yeah, yeah, you don't watch. But, but anyway, it, uh, well, in, in the story, Ralphie sends off for this Ovaltine decoder ring, and each week on Little Wolf and Annie, they give a secret message that you need the Ovaltine decoder ring. Ah, uh, yes, okay. And he is all excited, and he's watching the mailbox every day for this. And finally it comes, and he's all excited. He goes and sits in front of the he, he just tolerates the entire show because the, the secret code doesn't come until the end of the show. And so now he's got it, and he's in the bathroom. You know, he needs to privacy <laughs> here. And, and as he decodes the message, it, it's, kids, remember to drink your oval tea. Captain Midnight, I came across something with Captain Midnight that said the same thing today. Bob, what a terrible disappointment to give to kids. Uh. <laughs> and of course, that was Gene Shepard. You know, yeah. Christmas Tree was Gene Shepard. Uh-huh. And he had Gene Shepard's voiceover, and he was going, Oh, a crummy commotion. And I couldn't believe it. But I remember the same thing. They used to show on Superman, they had these um, videos of submarines. And you know, they would have the ping and the, and the sound of them descending. And you know, for 25 cents, you get your very own submarine. And I, you know, how exciting is this? And when it came, it was about the size of a Cracker Jack boy. And it had a little a hole in the top that you, you dropped in a little baking soda. Uh, okay. And it barely moved. And it, you know, it let out a few air bubbles from the baking soda. And it was like, what? <laughs> how, did you, how did you get this? You had to send box tops? It was like three or four box tops. Because he was a 
kid at the beach, you know. That was the, the one that said, are, are you getting sand kicked in your face, or do people kick sand in your face? Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then Charles Atlas, that one was sent for his course in dynamic tension, which was, which was isometrics. Uh-huh. And, uh, did then, anyone who sent away for that, or did anyone in your family send away for it? I knew kids that did. The thing is, you, 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 had, to, you had to check that you were over a certain age. Well, but I think it ended up being pretty expensive, and I always wondered why in the world they advertised on comic books. But then I guess there's probably a lot of, you know, guys that were in their late teens that, that were kind of, you know, socially not dead on <laughs> reading comic books. I, now, I don't want to target, see When your target market is comic book readers, it makes you wonder without yeah. exercising their fingers. I used to have... Uh, at one time, I think I had somewhere between 500 and 700 comic books. Oh, I, I, if I would have still had those today, they'd be, I'd be a millionaire. Well, if you still have them today and everybody else had them today, then nobody would be a millionaire. You made somebody a millionaire, Bob. What happened to them? I think they ended up getting thrown out. Mother's oh, I just kind of outgrew them, and, and they probably they were in, in boxes. Uh, you know, and, and you just... That, but it's funny, I've always... I always wanted to be a cartoonist uh, growing up. I just uh -huh. was dreamed of that. And so I used to, you know, really study the way different artists would draw. And, uh, but anyway, I just, you know, I had a tremendous comic book collection. What? They all got torn up and stuff. I mean, you know, to, to, to make a lot of money, you have to keep them in mint condition. Well, that's not, that's not what it was about. Yeah. It was about reading them, reading them and putting them in your pocket and taking them on sleep outs and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Writing them with your friends. Well, then, am I up high enough? Um, what were your favorite comics? I liked, um, my favorite was where the Disney Scrooge McDuck was my favorite. <laughs> Hands down, Scrooge McDuck. Donald Duck was good. And, and, but there was a lot of them. I loved Little Lulu. Uh-huh. And, and I loved the other ones like Superman and Batman. I had them all. You know, I had them all. The only ones I didn't care for, ironically, were Marvel comics, because I couldn't stand the artwork. And they're the ones that have uh, survived all the others, and, and you know, uh, that guy's making a million dollars, millions of dollars off the movies, because all of these uh, cartoon heroes that are they're making movies about are based on Marvel characters. And I haven't... I never cared for any of them. I have a trivia question for you. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Who is the voice of Scrooge McDuck in Disney movies? Oh. You know, uh, Scrooge didn't even, was never even in the movies until they came out with that. Uh, it was a show my, my oldest boys used to watch called Duck Tales. And I, I did hear this, but I, I don't know. Who was it? I don't know. Mr. Ed. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. That just cracked me up uh, that he, he made that kind of a transition, and then I realized he was born in Scotland. Um, so this is a natural voice for him. Right. Well, you know, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know if we want to get off on comic books, but Donald Duck, the Disney uh, Donald Duck comic books were a separate division altogether. 
and they hired a guy named Carl Barks, who was an artist, and he was just pretty much left to his own, you know, he, and he's the one that would do these great adventures, and he created a lot of the characters that were related to Donald Duck, Scrooge McDuck, uh, Grandma McDuck, uh, Daisy, I'm not sure if Daisy was his creation, or Daisy might have predated him. But he created all these great, the Beagle Boys, uh, you know, all of these, these uh, characters that, 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 but because when you worked for Disney, you remained anonymous, he could never get credit for any of these things. Uh-huh. And there was never a credit given in the comic book. And so even though he created all of these characters, they became, you know, they remained the property of Disney, and he sort of... In his later, later years in life, he finally got the recognition that he deserved. But it was kind of sad that, um, you know, he because my generation, man, we just loved those. Scrooge McDuck, they, they would have, sometimes they'd come out with special 100-page comic books, and 80 pages was just one adventure. And it kind of reminds me of, like, I Love a Mystery or something. He was always going off to some foreign place in the world and, and, and being attacked by zombies or something, you know. I mean, it was all fun. But they were really great, great adventures. Sounds cool. Yeah, it was. The comic book. Oh, sorry about your comic books. Remembered it except the descriptions that Lynn gave us 
and, and plasma, the best picture you could get for a large screen was to, um, remember they had the three-color system where you would actually have a, uh, like a projector mounted from the roof or sometimes over on the floor, and they would actually project onto a screen. So you could have like a movie screen in a, say, a restaurant or a bar or something. Yeah, you know, it would be the size of a, you know, a pretty good size billboard or something. And if you position your camera right, you could project the TV onto that. And so you would have a very large screen TV. It didn't have the quality, of course, that you have today with a high definition. But I mean, it was very innovative, and he must have sold a ton of those. Everybody in L.A. had, had one of those things uh, uh, in restaurants. Yeah, first time I ever heard about Madman Monk was on an Amos and Andy radio show uh, where they sold the, the French car. And that was the first time I ever heard the name Madman Monk. Uh, so he must have been totally so well known in L.A. that national radio shows would have picked up and used that sort of a running gag. Wow. Hmm. Well, Robin, did you ever interview or uh, uh, set up an interview with Mercedes McCambridge? I never did. Uh, the Gassmans um, had her speak at Spurvac, um, and I probably played one of the Mercedes McCambridge interviews I have that she did with Carlton Morris in about two weeks or so. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it'll be part. It'll, it'll be part of the Ray Bream interview on Sunday night, and so it'll be uh, not tomorrow. It'll be like around next week, the eleventh. Okay. So I'll run that one, and she was on with her. Because she just adored working with Colleen Morris and Hyman Brown. Those were the two guys that really uh, uh, she adored doing a lot of radio. the greatest work. voice. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a really good actress, yeah. She just really had a great voice. I just did. Almost as good as Patricia's.
100 winners. And it took him one minute and 50 seconds to get through 100 names. Wow. Incredible. Wow. I, I timed it. Actually, it was one minute. It was one minute and 40 seconds, I guess. And he, he got through the name and the city, name, city, name, city, name, city. And they gave it twice in the Superman shows that I was listening to, 50 at the beginning and 50 at the end. It was just an incredible, and you knew, you understood what he was saying. It was just one, every two seconds he had another one and probably less than that, less than um, every two seconds. It was just incredible. Sacks and sacks. Can you imagine showing up with post office canvas bag sacks of postcards from kids? How do you pick? You just close your eyes and pick them out, I yeah. guess. Yeah. What if they pick stuff like this? I don't know. Cause he went to some shows that had uh, prizes for bicycles and, and all sorts of prizes, and they had to select. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had more than one entry. Oh, and, uh, indeed they yeah. did. I mean, some of them had, oh my goodness, uh, you know, 100 bicycles at a time, which is, is just, it, it's just mind-boggling that they would have giveaways on that size and scope on, on 15-minute kids. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just amazing what they did, and I don't know. People may or may not know why they did those types of things. Can you you know why, Patricia? Why did they have giveaways and premiums? Well, the, the premiums for the products, of course, were promotions to get people to buy the products. But they gave some of these away with a, a shows that didn't even have sponsors mm-hmm. had giveaways. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing, and you're going to help me correct myself. Well. It was the early days for them to tell for ratings. It was a marketing tool. And so that's how sponsors knew they had listeners. Uh-huh. Or that's how radio stations would say, this show brings these, mo- these many people in. So, but what about the shows that didn't have any sponsors? Well, for the network, they had a, they had a judge for popularity. So they know those were viable shows or not. Sure. And then, of course, it would be a marketing tool to get sponsors. Right. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, the the Superman goodies were were just incredible. There was one I came across. Oh, I don't have a date on this one. A gyrocket. I had to. I kept going back, and I'm thinking skyrocket. No, it was gyrocket. So I'm assuming it was spelled like a gyroscope. A yep. G Y rocket. And it was advertised as almost half a foot long. I don't know what. Almost half a foot long and probably two inches, but yeah. um, almost it would be almost six inches. Wow. And it was in wood. It was made out of wood in blue, red, or yellow. It had a metal launching rod and a wooden rocket launcher. Now that's those were the descriptions. I'm not sure what you had to do with this thing in order to get it in the air, but that's a pretty elaborate setup for right. a giveaway. And it took 15 cents and a Kellogg's pop, uh, a pep box, a Kellogg's pep box top. Say that one fast three times. (laughs) But the address just tickled me. We have been talking about addresses periodically, how abbreviated they are, how quickly people could get mail from point A to point B with such little information on the envelope. And this one was sent to Superman, box 124, New York 8, New York. And New York City used to be divided into zones. And it would have zone 2, zone 3, and 
uh, you know, Brooklyn 3, New York. And this was in New York 8, so there was only one bank of post office boxes in this entire zone in the middle of New York City. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. In fact, I'll have a story about that in a few minutes. Uh, while Bob was digging it, you guys spurred me on to look for a story in my in my story collection. Okay. About premiums. Oh. And I'll play that. And I'll play that in a bit once we'll, we'll have find time to queue this up. Uh-huh. In fact, you know our friend Ron is a wonderful musician. Everybody, he's from Hawaii. Uh-huh. And he sent out a brand new CD. And I got a copy of it. I know, and I think he's gonna send you one too, Patricia. I have it in the envelope. I picked it out of the mailbox, and I haven't opened it yet. Shame on me. Well, please. I opened my copy, and I want to play one of the songs. Okay, do that. Yeah. So, and why don't I play one of the songs while I'm trying to cue up this one thing about premiums? And here's our good friend Ron from Hawaii, everybody. This is live radio. Here we go. Okay, ready, set, okay. One, two, three, go! Patricia, his high school decided to get 
get together and put on a concert. I love it. That's amazing. Well, and Ron from Hawaii, I hope you're listening tonight. You can always, always give us a call. But Patricia, you know, we've been talking about premium. Uh-huh. And Bob Wines, back in 1979, had Curry Bradley in the studio. Curry Bradley with Tom Mix. Yep, I remember that. And he tells a very special story about radio premiums. And I'm going to play that now. Oh, great. So, this is a great story, everybody. If you got a tape recorder, roll this. So, Patricia and I will be back in about five or ten minutes. Here we go. Stuff. A lot of mothers had <laughs> problems in those days. I did too. <laughs> did they ever get any real flack uh, uh, or any uh, problems with uh, people coming up to you like on a personal appearance and saying, uh, Oh yes, I don't oh, like premium yet. Oh yes, I sure did. Tell us some stories about some of the PAs that you did uh, in, in relation to the Tom Show. If you will, uh, I think the one the most poignant, the one that sticks out in my mind the most, was I was making an appearance at the Coney Island in, uh, now I don't confuse that with New York, but the little Coney Island in Cincinnati. And they had a little boat that went down there called the River Queen. And I had Tony up there and uh, my little band. And uh, we were doing our show. We had a uh, little stage built 20 by 20. And I would take Tony up on the, sta- on the stage and get him to do his tricks. And I would sing a couple of numbers, and then that was the deal. And uh, Tony would just go down the ramp and crawl right up in his trailer with nobody happening. And uh, so the last, this Sunday afternoon, and uh, it was the last show. It was about, oh, I guess, maybe 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the evening. And Tony went up into the ramp, and then, of course, I always, they had asked me to sign one or two autographs or whatever was there. And I walked down the ramp, and I had Tony's bridle in my hand, and just putting it up in the trailer. And I heard this little boy crying, just like his little heart would break. And I saw, I looked around, I saw him standing over the back tree, all by himself. Mm-hmm. And I, the first thing that flashed in my mind was, uh-oh, we got a little boy and it's lost. So I went over to him, and I said, uh, hello there, little fella, how are you? And he was crying. He said, I don't like you. And I said, oh, my, you don't like me. Do you know who I am? He said, uh-huh. you're Curly Bradley, Tom Mix, but I don't like you. And I thought, oh, God, I'm into it now. And I looked around, actually, in desperation. I wanted to find this popular sandwich pretty quick, because I didn't know what to do here now. And there was a fellow standing just about 10 feet away up against another tree. And he said to me, Hardy, okay, you go ahead and explain it to him. I can't. And I thought, oh, man, I'm really in the season. bad. So uh, I asked the little boy what was the matter. And he told me he hadn't gotten his whistling ring. <laughs> and I said, you mean you haven't gotten it yet? Well, this is maybe six or eight weeks after it had gone off. Oh, yeah. And he said, no. And the little fella sobbing all this time. And uh, I said, well, how come you didn't get it? He said, I don't know. I said, well, did you send in your dime in the box top? Uh-huh. And I said, well, did you, did you sign your name? He said, uh-huh. I said, what did you put down? He said, Billy from Cincinnati. And I said, Billy from Cincinnati. He said, uh-huh. And I said, well, did you put your last name down? He said, Billy. 
guy everybody calls Meat Billy in Cincinnati, and he's little hard on it. And so I finally, I said, do you know what I'll do? I said, you don't mind me calling you Bill, do you? He said, no. I said, I do that because you're so grown up. You know, that's real grown up. And he said, oh, that's all right. And I said, well, Bill, I'll tell you what. You know, when I'm working, sometimes I get washed up, me, or Mike, or some of them. And I said, would you believe me if I told you that maybe they made a mistake? He said, no. And I said, oh, you wouldn't? He said, no. I said, well, would you believe Tony? He said, yes. So I picked him up, took him over, and opened the door. Tony stuck his head out. And, of course, Tony was trained and accused. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pointed and he said, yes, sir. He said, no. And Paul with his foot and stuff like that, just little tricks. And so I said to Tony, I said, Tony, isn't it true that sometimes when I'm so busy that I have Walsh or Mike help me with the mail and stuff? And he shook his head up and down and he looked at him and he looked at me and he looked back at Tony and he said, I said, uh, now, do you remember, and I think back, Tony, do you remember when we went off with this whistling ring and when was the last offer we had? Was that about six or eight weeks ago? And he took his foot and he started drumming all his <laughs> And that little kid's eye just kept getting bigger. And so finally the daddy walked over and I said, uh, it's, uh, it's all right to talk to this boy. And he said, sure, go ahead, I paid. And uh, so then I said to Tony, I said, well, Tony, do you remember who was helping me when uh, we went off with the last of the whistling rings? Was it Wash? He shook his head up and down. I said, uh-huh. Doggone that Wash got me in trouble with Billy. I said, Bill, I'm sorry, but I bet your Wash just took your letter and forgot it or mislaid it. Thought maybe I'd already answered it. And he didn't send one. So the boys looked at that eddy, but this time his eyes was about sizing yours. Looking at Tony. And I said, uh, now do you, do you believe what Tony said? <laughs> and I said, well, would you believe me if I promise you I'll send you a whole dozen of them whistling rings? And he, he starts laughing. He said, oh boy, oh boy. Oh, okay. So then I sent him to start. And he said, now the trouble is, he said, I come home from work and I work hard. And he said, this boy listens to that show religiously. And he said, to the last. Three weeks, all he's done is turn it on and sit on that stool and cry. Because he didn't get his whistling ring. And he said, my, my wife and I have had arguments about it. He said, I put her tongue in the awful looking for you. <laughs> and I said, well, sir, I'm sure sorry. But I said, the reason was he just put Billy from Cincinnati and I said, he was no address. Right. He said, now I understand. He said, I never thought to ask him where he said it. But about when we had that little boy hugged me and he kissed me and he hugged Tony and he didn't want to let go of Tony. Oh, I can imagine. Oh, he just thought the word of Tony. I definitely told him the truth. That is a beautiful story. And, so- and there we go. Curly Bradley, the time when he had to handle a radio premium. That is such a touching story to me. I've heard it before. I don't know when you played it before. It was an interview. And I thought, what a special person he was to take that amount of interest in a little boy who was so sad. It, it just blew me away. He was such a nice man. You know what else he did when he knew kids that were struggling uh, academically and just huh? didn't have anything? He, did, he took a personal in, kid 
And the only thing they loved was his horse, Tony. So he said, I promise, if you get your grades up and pass high school, and I'll give you Tony. And he did. Gave him? Yes. Gave away Tony? Gave away Tony. The horse? The horse. Oh, dear. Oh, that's, that's a hard Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Could you give him, oh, I don't want to talk about uh, that. But it, it was somebody he knew, but he was just a struggling, a little youngster, so it, he got his grades, you know, took several years. Uh-huh. He passed high school and college, but he gave him Tony. Yes, it was the hardest thing for him to do, you know, to uh, drive off and have Tony run and shake his head goodbye. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Could you have done that? It's been awful hard. I, I, you know, I, I'm such a sentimentalist. Uh, you know, it, it busted my heart, but he helped the kid out. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay, folks, call in with your premium information or you're stuck with listening to me for another couple of minutes about what the Kellogg's company gave away in addition to the Kellogg's Pep Jet Plane Mechanical Ring in 1948. They also, between, <laughs> this is amazing, 1928 through 1936, that's eight years, they gave away muffin tins. Gave away muffin tins so that, and they called them high-grade muffin tin in the store. You could get them in the store, and they were free. And they were designed to encourage consumers to use Kellogg's high-fiber products. You made muffins out of them. That's great. I thought that was pretty good. They also, in the 1930s, they had measuring cups. They were really kitchen-oriented here, Uh, far more so um, than I would have imagined for cereal. I mean, it's generally considered a kid-oriented thing. Today, we've got these health-oriented fiber foods and cereals and all sorts of neat goodies that are supposed to be heart-healthy. But back in those days, it was pretty much a kid's market with cereal. So uh, it surprised me to find that they had gone quite heavily into the adult and especially the kitchen market. But they also offered measuring cups. Although that was neat. Free gift collection. Uh, They called them utilitarian premiums that came in pink and green. And they came out about the same time as Kellogg's All Brand. So that followed the... um, Let's see, it was, and it was followed by a free Kellogg's imprinted wooden mixing spoon. So they were really into kitchen goodies, too. Wow. Did you know that? I did not know that. I certainly didn't know that. 714-545-2071, her number. Give us a call, please. And tell us what Chandu the Magician gave away. 714-545. 2071. Now, uh, John Aston has been playing, or was playing, the entire Chandu the Magician series. So people who were listening to Don's tape periodically would have picked up somewhere along the line what Chandu was giving away. This was a magician. He was the star of the show. So that's your hint for now. Then I found, and I asked you the other day, did you know Fibber McGee and Molly had a premium? You were the one who told me they had a premium. <laughs> I say, oh gosh, look what I found. Fibber uh, McGee and Molly had a premium that was given away, the show that um, I listened to anyway, 
are Motorman McGee, show from April 20th, 1936. And Harlow Wilcox was announcing a premium, a spinning top. Only you didn't just get a spinning top, you got a pair of spinning tops. And I can say, you know, just little kid toys that you spin with your finger and they stood on their end and just spun until they fell over and then you did it again. But you didn't have to send any box tops. Of course, Johnson's Wax didn't have any box tops, but you had to trace the words Johnson's Wax on a piece of paper and send that in and you would get your tops. But people were sending in handwritten Johnson's Wax, so you knew that they had not purchased the product. And Harlow went um, so far as to say, you have to send the actual tracings or you're not going to get your tops. And I, I thought, it said, his quote was, no tops, I, I type these things out, no tops can be sent unless your tracing is made from an actual can of Johnson's Wax. Now, the first week I listened to, it was send it uh, send your request to Fibber and Molly Care of the Station. That's all. Fibber and Molly Care of the Station. So it would have gone to your local station. But when he went to no tops can be sent unless your tracing is made from an actual can of wax, they changed it and said mail it to Johnson's Wax, Racine, Wisconsin. That was the entire address. Everybody knew what Johnson's Wax was and where Johnson's Wax was made. So you sent it to Johnson's Wax, Racine, Wisconsin, and I am guessing that the company finally, this is a guess now, that the company pulled in the reins and said, wait a minute, you're giving away things to people who haven't even bought our products. Let us take care of it. So I guess the local stations were sending out toys to people who had not actually met the requirements. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, it sounds like it to me. Very good deduction. Yeah, only because the address changed so suddenly mm -hmm. that it went directly to corporate headquarters as opposed to the local stations handling the onslaught of requests. Yeah. I have no idea how many they gave away, but thank you for putting me on to that one. Did I you just, ever find a picture of it on online? I didn't. I didn't look. Okay. And you asked me about that, too. Um, I, I kind of, shame on me, I ran a little short on time today. So. You know, P Patricia just complains. He just gets homework after homework. Oh, after he does. He gives me so much homework. I, I've... I'm really sorry, and I wasn't even complaining on that I know, one. I know, I'm just my, <laughs> my lovable tease, you know. Well, I did say I was going to do uh, it, and, okay. I, well, you can do it. and I forgot that we were on, you know, I, I didn't really forget, but uh, I kind of got a little lackadaisical during the day. Um, well, didn't yeah. set aside enough time is what happened. I well, mean, it's my fault. I, well, you know, you can always look for one next week. I will do that. I did find a picture of Little Orphan Annie shake-up mug. Oh, yeah. And Captain Midnight also offered a shake-up mug, and they were both Ovaltine, of course. But um, anybody who is familiar with the shake-up mug, please call, because that was a really nifty giveaway, and they're still available and in premium condition, uh, excellent condition. It's not even premium condition, which means it's been used, but it's in good shape. <clears throat> Excuse me, I came across one listed for $95. So it's apparently fairly difficult, or not difficult, it's not uh, terribly easy to find one with a cap. You can find the, the cup, but the whole thing is a unit. You screw on the cap, you shake up your Ovaltine mix, you unscrew the cap, and then you've got it in a cup or a mug. So um, people are losing the, <laughs> the mug tops or had lost the mug tops. 
they're not quite as available as the bottoms. Wow. Wow. Seven one four five four five two oh seven one's our number. Seven one four five four five two oh seven one. Great stuff. I asked earlier, person, what everybody, what radio personality tried out for the British Open in golf in 1950? I'll give you a clue. When you say the name, I'm going to say, I knew that. Yep, I'll give you a clue. He also was a professional boxer. Oh my goodness, that's a clue? Mm-hmm. So if you know your radio lore history, you know who he is. And, in fact, he was a comedian. In fact, there were two comedians in radio who were professional boxers. Well, Max Bear was, but I don't think he was in radio, was no. he? Uh, Max Bear, let me think. Max Bear was... Yeah, no, I don't think Rosie... No, I don't think so. don't think Max was. But these were not what these weren't very good boxers, but they were they. Oh, yeah. Okay. They were they they and they both have successful radio shows. I think they both were number one in the country at one time or another. Oh, so they had their own shows. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. 714-545-2071. Boxer. Boxer. What radio comedians were boxers? They were okay. radio comedians, everybody. Hal Perry. No, wasn't Hal. Willard. Wasn't Willard. Was not even close. It wasn't Fibber. I know that. Yeah, it was not Fibber or Gildersleeve. Wasn't. Wasn't. Ah. Somebody's got an answer. Oh. Now, is it about the Kennedy magician? Oh, well, hey, that's Patricia's trivia question. You can well, I don't know that one either, but... You know, oh, gosh, well, that's okay. Well, it's not what I didn't hear. Maybe I do have the answer. Well, you probably do know the answer. The, the answer, the question is, what two famous radio comedians who had number one shows earlier in their life were professional boxers? Oh, God. I can take a guess. All right. Uh, Red Stafford? Nope. Nope, wasn't Red. Uh, Bob Hope. Ring the bell for Patricia. You know what? He did a couple of skits in boxing gloves. There you go. So, it was Bob Hope who tried out for the British Open in 1950, and his earlier day he was a boxer. He went by the name Packy East. His buddy was Packy West, and Bob Hope at the boxer went under the name Packy East. Got knocked, got knocked, not got knocked out, knocked around. He went into dancing school. So. Okay. So the other radio comedian was also a boxer. Can you? Jack Ready? No, wasn't Jack. Uh, he was he was part of a great twosome. I'm thinking George Burns. Nope, wasn't George. The radio series started in 1942. They had their own show by around 1941-42. They were the hottest thing in radio for a while. Phil Harris? Nope, wasn't Phil. <laughs> Fred Allen, we're coming through wasn't the whole list here. Wasn't Phil. Uh, 
Because you get warm because you have eliminating answers. We're running out of people. Of course we're getting warm. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't that many left. <laughs> uh, I have I have had his her, his daughter on the show. Yeah. Um. Other daughters. Joan Benny was on the I show. I know. But it's not Jack. I know. Uh, unfortunately, he only made it to the age of fifty-one. Oh. He, um, he passed away in 1957. He comes from Patricia Old Stomping Grounds. He t- he was a, he was born in New Jersey. Born in New Jersey. Born in New Jersey. I don't have a clue. He was uh, he and his partner uh, were the hottest thing in radio. Left. 
And Dad goes, well, I wonder what this one is. And I'm thinking it's something good for me, something exciting, you know. And he goes, well, to Fred from Fred. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I opened it up, and it was the album, the Elvis thing. And I'm like, oh, cool, my Elvis album. He goes, well, I hope you like it, because we took the money out of your bank account. You paid for it. <laughs> okay. That's, that's great. I opened it up. It was the lithograph. There was no album. Oh, no! And the lithograph was this cheap little photocopy. It would be like if one of us could draw. We sat down and we drew like a profile of Elvis. And then made a bunch of photocopies of it. Oh, my. That's, that's what I paid 20 bucks for. And Dad, who, they were trying to teach me a lesson, but they actually felt bad. and got, they got the, check, the check stop that they used and everything. Because they really thought the album was going to be in there. They were just teaching me a lesson on, you know, hey, you're going to pay for it from now on. Did the lesson work? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it did. I'm very skeptical now of of anything I see on, on TV or any of that stuff. Oh, wow. Um, I've ordered stuff since then, but not not, not as much. But I'll never forget that. Yeah, I opened it up. There was no album in the friggin' thing. And I, want, and I also wondered how many people... If, it was, if that was an honest mistake, or if that was a, a legitimate scam, and if it was, how many people would actually scammed with it? Yeah, and how many people would follow it up? Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't bother, you, you pay for it, the hell with it, da da da, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll never, that, that, that stuck in my mind too. It's like, oh man. Um, but he's always telling me, you know, don't buy stuff off TV, it's a ripoff, it's a ripoff. Um, <laughs> And so that one year, they decided to teach me a lesson, and they didn't know how appropriate it was, because like I said, it opened up the no damn album. Surprise, surprise, Fred. You bought yourself a present. Yes, I did. I had a $20, $20 picture. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I don't think I still, I always think I saved. Oh, what a smart man your dad was. Yep. That was, uh, that was quite a thing. Um. But no, we raised today though. It's amazing how different they are. I just did one the other day for uh, some paper I bought at Brooks's. Nowadays you can go online and have it done in two seconds without the hassle. Mm-hmm. And you get, you know, you get checks. You get print checks out sometimes. Right. And then you printer. Wow. How's your weather up there? Great. It was 70, 70 degrees today, 72 degrees. Are you melted? Is there any snow left? Uh, no, not here. There is up in the mountains. But down here where I'm at, no. But I'm probably oh, three miles away from it if I want to go to it. Because um, it stays up in the mountains for a while. But I have no desire to go to see snow. I've seen enough of it this winter. You've had quite enough this winter. I have a question for you. Did you ever buy Cracker Jacks and get the little toys out of Cracker Jacks? Yeah, but I was the era where you got all the cheap stuff. Yeah? You know, the little, like, uh, little tiny book that you can barely read, or the plastic rig. All the, all the metal and good stuff, they, they'd give it away to my parents, my dad's generation. And by the time I was growing up, it was all the cheap toys. I think you still get cheap toys in them. The plastic, uh -huh. uh, they don't last very long, or paper stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I, no, I've not ever had, uh, I don't recall ever having Cracker Jacks. 
No, I don't think so. Uh, well, you can get like a... I can remember some of the stuff I would get. It's nothing that... Like the old toys would be like a little metal car. Something you could save. It would actually last through the years. Huh? The stuff I would get would be like... Or you might get a little tiny picture that if you move it, it's like a hologram and it moves. Oh, I see. Or uh, one time I got a a miniature dot-to-dot -dot book and you could barely, I mean, the thing was barely big enough for your thumb. And you could you know, kind of do the dot-to-dot -dot in it, but it was kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, oh, no. I, I can't remember. A lot of plastic things. Nothing of quality, though. Nothing of real quality, no. Nothing that you would... Nothing like the older toys when they first started doing them. Because um, my dad had a collection of those. That my older... That I wanted when he died. My older brother got them. Um, and they were really cool. Like, like toys that he had when he was a kid. Uh-huh. And, and, and a lot of the stuff were out of Cracker Jack boxes. But he saved them. Yeah, he saved them. Good for him. Yeah. But, uh, I love Cracker Jack, so. You <laughs> did? Do you still eat it? Oh, yeah. Now and then. I know as much of the candy as I used to be because I don't have as many teeth left as I used to have, and I'm kind of guarding the ones I got left. Um, so I don't eat as much candy as I used to. Uh, but I, what, what if I do eat, you know, get a sweet tooth, that's one of the things I'll go for. I love Cracker Jacks. Um. Did you ever eat Cracker Jacks? Uh-huh. I, mean, I I enjoy Cracker Jack. I always like the peanuts. Oh, yeah. You're a peanut kid. I I'm a peanut kid, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like the caramel corn part of them. Uh-huh. The other part. I just never had enough peanuts, but I, I, I would eat, especially at baseball games, you know. Mm. You would get, we go to a baseball game and all, a lot of times get Cracker Jack, so. Cracker Jack is sticky, isn't it? It is sticky. Caramel. How did you get your hands clean at a baseball game? You go, you, you go to the bathroom. And wash it. And it's addictive. It's one of those things you can't just eat one cracker jack. Also, or else, you know, if you have a, a, a soda pop, you know, the, uh, um, you know, when you're outside and the, what, oh, what, the moisture on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. So if you use that and napkin, then you clean yourself up. Uh huh. That's a guy thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fred, are you in the market for some questions tonight? Well, I'll try. Uh, I'm getting harder and harder on my questions now. I know. I don't know about this, but we'll give it one shot. I got. I saw it was the last CD you sent me, so. Okay. Well, I'm <laughs> glad you're enjoying them because maybe you'll <laughs> you'll have a problem with these tonight. Okay. First well, one. First, I'll read all three of them. Okay. Okay. These are hard. I think I should have saved them one of these. I'm going to save one of these for a bonus question, and I'll give you something else. Um. Let's see here. Okay, we have two members. Oh, that we won't. We won't do that one. I'm, I'm. I put together some really hard ones here. This is terrible. Okay, here we go. The Great Gildersleeve. What did he do for a living? That's question number one. Question number two is, who did Eddie Anderson play on the Jack Benny program? And number three is. On the December 18th, 1945 episode of Fibber McGee and Molly, Fibber painted a Christmas tree. What color did he paint the Christmas tree? I'll give the first one a shot. Okay. What did the Gildersleeve do for a living? Was he a waterman? He was a water commissioner. You got it. Hooray! 
The only reason I remember that is my best friend is the water commissioner of our hometown. Your friendly water commissioner? Like my best friend is the water commissioner of this, our town here. And so I got a kick out of that when I heard it on the show. Okay, well, you're right. He's the friendly water commissioner. Do you know what color Fibber painted his tree? Uh, I can guess. Uh, I guarantee it's not green. <laughs> so... Purple. No. Oh, Fred, when did you see a purple Christmas tree? Well, of course, but this is supposed to be off the wall, right? Uh, red. He painted it white. White. Oh, okay. He painted his tree white, so you have to save that one for the next time. Well, that's when I found out I was colorblind, you know. Say that again, please? Well, I was in second grade. I, painted, I, I drew a tree. And I, I made the tree brown, no, the, the, the tree green and the leaves brown. And, it, and my teacher thought that was strange, so she gave me a colorblind test. And sure enough, I was colorblind. Oh, my goodness. Yep. When you know how you get those pictures? Certain colors I can tell, but you know how you get those pictures in magazines and you see a bunch of dots and they say pick out the number or pick out the letter? Uh-huh. If there are the colors that I'm colorblind, it looks like a bunch of dots to me. There's no letter, there's no number there. They're all the same. They're all the same, yep. The shades. I mean, people think colorblind, you see only black and white. That's not true, but you don't see, like, green and brown are hard for me. Uh-huh. Um, blue, and violet, blue and violet, forget it. Like a dark blue and a purple, I can't tell the difference. Um, and, like, green and brown, red and green, some reds and greens. Some greens and yellows. Uh huh. Um, depending on the shading, yeah. Oh, how that! It must be frustrating at times. Oh, it can be. When people see different colors from what you're seeing, and they'll describe something, and it doesn't match up with. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, you see something, you see something, you get your own image. Yeah. It is, you know. Hey, this is pick CD time. What would you like? Okay. Well, you said you were doing a bunch of, uh, um, what would you say earlier tonight? You got a bunch of new ones of, uh... Oh, Superman. Superman. Yeah, that'd be great. You want Superman? I'd love some Superman. You got Superman. Okay. Okay, I will send you some Superman. Okay. You guys have a good night. Thank you, and thanks for calling in, Fred. Bye-bye. Thanks, Fred. Bye. And you can give us a call too, everybody. 714-545-2071. Patricia Potluck is open. 714-545-2071. And, and Dee Dee. Do we have any questions out, Patricia? I can't remember. Um, yeah, we do. We had a couple of bonus questions out there. And I did not read out any questions. You're right. The phone has been ringing. Okay. All right. This is a good one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. This is for a free-for-all. Somebody has to call in with a correct answer, and Googling is acceptable. Here are the three questions for a CD. Only answer one correctly, and you've got a CD. In 1941, George Burns and Gracie Allen added a pet. What was the pet? The second question is, in The Great Gildersleeve, what did Horace Hooker do for a living? 
And in the third question, I want to know, what did Dr. Frankenstein use to bring his monster to life? Now, how's that for an eclectic group of That's questions? Really good. And I want to remind everybody, there are two people who've won trivia in the last several weeks who hasn't sent in their address to Patricia. That's and we, we've mentioned at the beginning of the show, but some of those I know might be tuning in later. So, Patricia, you want to recall who they might be? Oh, what a great idea. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. I still need an address and a list of shows, Neil. Neil in Las Vegas uh, was going to send me a list of shows that he was having trouble finding, and I was going to check some of my sites to see if I could dig some up. Neil in Las Vegas, you've got to send me an email with your wants and your address, and also Dan who won the Amos and Andy CD. I've got it ready to send out, but I have no place to send it. So if both of you would send an email to me, that would be terrific. I am at floridawriter at hotdam... Erase that, erase that. Let me start again. Florida Writer. I am a writer. I write with words. Uh, floridawriter at hotmail.com. And that's for Neil and Dan and anybody else who wants to send an email and say hi to me. I would love that. Patricia likes saying hi. I love saying hi. Yeah, yeah, I really do. Yeah, so you can do that at floridawriter at hotmail.com. Your email is? Uh-oh, you think you know it? No. <laughs> Walden Hughes at yesterdayusa.com. All right, Patricia. Uh now, see, that's a, that's a dangerous thing, because if I guessed incorrectly, people would be sending your emails to, it, to a wrong place. But I trust Patricia. Oh, you're so good. I try. 714-545-2071. We'd love to hear from you. 714-545-2071. Patricia and I would like to wish everybody a wonderful Easter tomorrow. If you haven't heard us mention that in the last couple of hours. Correct. And we'd love to have you have a wonderful day tomorrow. 714-545-2071. We uh, haven't had a new caller tonight. I know. I'm caller. We have not had a first-time caller. So if you are out there listening and you have never called us, please call in. Let us know where you're from how you got to us, and maybe even play trivia with us. Sure. You can just call and say hi. I'm listening to you guys from uh, from uh, Dubuque, Montana, or whatever. Oh, I remember. I got a couple more trivia questions. Can you tell me where the Caesar salad came from? Oh, that's right. We're still on the Caesar salad. Yeah. Does anybody know what city created the city Caesar salad? It's not Chicago, it's not New York, it's not in the United States. Not in the United States. And, and it's not Italy. We've already covered those. We're narrowing it down, folks. Yep, and it's not in France. I'll give you a clue. It's in North America. Oh, it is in North America? Yes. Oh, you rascal. Okay. Yeah, it's in North America. So that should give you a clue. So if you know how many countries in North America, you'll have a one out of three chance. One out of two. We've already eliminated the United States. Oh, there you go. So you got so you got one out of two countries, then you can figure out. 50-50. I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'll leave it to someone who has either looked it up or who knows in his heart and head or her heart and head where the Caesar salad was born. Yes. That is so cute. That's the Caesar salad. I like to know. And 
like to also let me give you a clue about Space Patrol. I asked what That's right. what contest did they have? It was a premium that was so large that you could not fit in your house. Does anybody know? Pick me, I do know it. All right, Patricia. Nope, I'm not going to say it. Mm-mm. You're not going to well, say it? I, I'll say it. You want me to say it? Well, we'll keep it out there for a little while. Maybe hey. maybe uh, people want to call in and, and get that one. 714-545-2071. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll throw that out there. Okay. Boy, we've, we've got, this is really good, and I'll, I'll read my bonus questions that are still out there as well. Sure. So we've got, where was Caesar salad born? Mm-hmm. What was the big, oversized, enormous, huge Space Patrol gift? I, it wasn't even a gift. It was a contest. Right, a contest prize, I guess. It was a contest prize. And I have three regular trivia questions. George Burns and Gracie Allen added a pet in 1941. What was the pet? The Great Gildersleeve Show. What did Horace Hooker do for a living? And the third question is, what did Dr. Frankenstein use to bring his monster to life? Those are three questions in our regular trivia. You only have to get one out of three. We would love to have a new first-time caller tonight. And we are just loaded with questions we do. here. I got another trivia question. What? All right, folks. Um, I'm a big fan of a singer who was killed in 1950 in a plane crash. Okay. His big hit so happened to be one of my dad's all-time favorite songs in 1947. And I'm speaking of the singer named Buddy Clark and the song he sung with this song. I'm going to ask you, can you tell me who was this name for? So, let's just play the song. your name? Fresh. I don't talk to strangers. Oh, I'm no stranger. Been waiting every evening for you to walk by. Keep waiting. I'm still walking. Oh, what's your name? None of your business. Pretty name. But I'll just call you Linda. Well, how did you guess? When I go to sleep, I never count sheep. I count all the charms about Linda. And lately it seems... In all of my dreams, I walk with my arms about Linda. But what good does it do me? For Linda doesn't know I exist. Can't help feeling gloomy. Think of all the loving I have missed. We pass on the street, my heart skips a beat. I say to myself, hello, Linda. If only she'd smile, I'd stop her a while, and then I would get to know Linda. But miracles still happen. 
And when my lucky star begins to shine With one lucky break I'll make Linda See you again sometime? Maybe. How about uh, Saturday night? Well... Shall I pick you up at eight? Okay. Oh, boy, that's a date. Bye now. So miracles do happen And now my lucky stars begin to shine With one lucky break I'll make Linda know the name Linda, who was named after. Oh. And the question, and she was a little girl at the time, and she wound up being a, one of the most famous ladies in the world in the 60s and 70s. Can you tell me who was that name for? Her real name is Linda? Her real name is Linda. My goodness, and you said he died in a plane crash? Well, Buddy Clark, the airplane, uh, he sung the song in 1950, and he would die, the, the singer. But, Did he go down in the plane with uh, Patsy Cline? No, no, uh, Patsy Cline died in 1962. Uh, Buddy Clark died, uh, he, was, he was coming from a football game from uh, Stanford down to California, and about six or four people were in the plane, and he was the only one that was killed. Oh. And um, many but, of our performers, especially singers, yes, exclusively singers, have gone down in airplanes. It's just tragic. It's totally tragic. But the song, the songwriter who wrote that just passed away uh, this past year. He's mid ninety, and I saw him perform back at the Old Time Radio Convention in New Jersey, and he told the story. This little girl, Linda, she was four or five years old in nineteen forty seven. Her dad was the songwriter's lawyer. So I want to know who was Linda. And she wound up being one of the most famous uh, Lindas that we know of in the 60s and 70s and 80s. So there's another trivia question for you. You've got a squillion trivia questions out there. <laughs> okay, so I need to know who Horace Hooker, what he did for a living in the Great Gildersleeve, and where Caesar Salad was born. <laughs> What a potpourri tonight. That's right. That's what we, we love. We love people. We like you to call. Oh, this is so much fun. And a first-time caller, please. please. We have not had a first-time caller tonight. And we won't bar any of our friends from calling in, but if you haven't called it, can you let us be your friend and give us a call at 714-545-2071. And, you know, if you don't know any of those trivia, Patricia got potluck. Oh, boy, she's got a real load of these things. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good, good, good stuff. We love stuff. I love stuff. That's my favorite word, stuff. It covers everything. Stuff. What are you doing tonight? Stuff. stuff. What did you, where did you put the laundry? It's stuff. And I stuffed it. <laughs> good stuff. 
We've got good stuff. Okay, if we're not going to get a phone call, can we play a show? We can play a show. We can play a show, and then I can charge my battery here, yeah, which is starting to chirp at well, you, it, it, such a good time. It's it done good. So we, why don't we do that? And that way I can go grab a snack. Oh, there you go, and I can too. Yeah. We're the, okay. We're the, snack ki- we're the snack kids around here, so you don't know that, folks. Oh, got to get a goodie. Got to get a goodie. So what are we going to play, Patricia? I think number one on your list, we've got two shows tonight. We've got uh, Installing a Wall Safe and Houseboating on Dugan's Lake. I believe you've got Installing a Wall Safe as I number do. one. For- I do. I do. I go strictly what Patricia tells me. Oh, uh, isn't this good? He's the only person in my life who does what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Watson, you're a treasure, and now you're treasure two-time. This one is kind of unusual, installing a wall safe. I think it's a funny, funny show to begin with, but it's unusual because it was not done in the studio. It was done at a convention Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. It was the, I'll say this out loud, or in all the letters, as it's known by, and then tell you what it is. It was the N-R-E-C-A convention at the Civic Auditorium in San Francisco. And this was on February 3rd, 1953. And it it was the national, or is, it's still an organization, the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, N-R-E-C-A. It pulls together, uh, they're they're actually consumer-owned cooperative electric companies. They're not utilities in the in the traditional sense. They provide electricity, but they buy it from other places. They're, the um, profits and losses are passed on to customers. It, it's um, uh, independent from, it's, it's a little bit different from what we traditionally expect from an electric company. But I thought it was fascinating that they did a show in front of an audience of 4,000 people. There were 4,000 people at this convention. They stood in front of this 4,000-strong group of people, and they put on a fabulous show. It was really great. Uh, it's installing a wall safe, as only Fibber could do. He chopped a hole in the wall and wanted to put all his valuables in there, and Molly wanted to know what they were. <laughs> of course, they didn't have anything. And I, um, I think it was a bottle top collection or something along those lines, but... I just thought it was a really interesting feature that they did this in front of a huge audience. It was not a studio audience. It was in San Francisco, of all places, and in a civic auditorium. How about that? Pretty nice. I know they did a show in Omaha, Nebraska. They did a couple, yeah. And they did one, I think, in Toronto, Canada, I think. So those are a couple of the others uh, live remote, but it's very rare that they ever went out of the studio. I believe the Toronto one and perhaps the Omaha one, they were Bond Drive associated. Is, is that correct? Uh, I don't remember. I think definitely the Toronto one. And I, I think Black might have been after, but it probably was a, something to do with the... Fundraiser uh-huh, or, or the, maybe the Red Cross or... Or, or, or something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I, this one, it struck me as peculiar, and I couldn't find any information about it. So maybe while the show is playing, somebody out there will say, oh, gosh, I remember that, and I know how they got there and why they did it. If you were in the audience of this show, would you give us a call after the broadcast? And this was not terribly long ago, 1953. That's not a million squillion years That's ago true. anyway. That's true. Uh, you know, we're not talking 1931 or mm-hmm. 1932. It's 1953 in the Civic Auditorium, San Francisco, February 3rd, 1953, and the name of the show is Installing a Wall Safe. So with that, 
I think we can play. So Patricia and I will be back, and I after our snacks. <laughs> I, that's right. So here we go, everybody. From the NRECA convention in the Civic Auditorium in San Francisco, the Reynolds Aluminum Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick LeGrand, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The show is written by Bill Leslie and Keith Fowler and directed by Nick Cotto with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. In a big farmhouse kitchen or in an apartment kitchenette, women know the best way to keep food is in aluminum foil. And their favorite foil is Reynolds Wrap. The original and genuine, pure aluminum. It's the ideal wrap for the foods you freeze, just as it is perfect for the leftovers in your refrigerator. Reynolds wrap is moisture-proof, odor-proof, and foods wrapped in it freeze faster. That means better flavor, less shrinkage. And this aluminum foil molds around any shape, clings tightly so you don't have to do any taping or tying. For poultry or large cuts of meat, get heavy-duty Reynolds wrap, half a yard wide. Popular companion to the regular 12-inch standard and jumbo rolls. Be sure to ask by name for Reynolds Wrap, made by the world's largest producer of aluminum foil, the Reynolds Metals Company. <laughs> Mr. McGee of 79 Wistful Vista is chopping a hole in his living room wall. That's him over there in the corner with the hatchet, the chisel, and the eager expression. The lady there in the doorway with her arms full of bundles and her face full of horror is Mrs. McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. Ah, now I'm getting someplace. Gee, what in the world are you... Oh. Put down that hatchet before you break a hole in the wall. Well, hi, Molly. I didn't hear you come in. Wait to see what I'm doing, kiddo. What are you doing? And stop it. Hi, my dear. I'm putting in a wall safe. Now stand back so you don't get hit with flying plaster. A wall safe? Yep. Set right there on the floor, Tootsie. Look at it. You see, now, there are two things I don't need in my living room. Mm. One is a wall safe, and the other one is you with a hatchet. Mm. Put it down, will you? Look, we're going out to dinner tonight, remember? That's what you promised. Right, and for once in our life, we ain't going to worry about burglars. All our priceless possessions will be safely locked up in our safe. You've got priceless possessions? Why, well, certainly. What about my collection of streetcar transfers? <laughs> Including the rare green 1932 one with no holes in it from the Dugan's weight line, which the conductor punched me instead of it when I wouldn't turn it in. <laughs> All that should be handed down to posterity for sure, and yeah. the sooner the better. And don't forget the autograph I got from Dizzy O'Dell, the flagpole sitter. The only guy in his racket that ever painted himself red, white, and blue and come down to half-mast when his mother-in-law died. I forgot that. That would attract any burglar who specialized in hot autographs. Yeah, and how about our jewelry? What jewelry? Why, your string of genuine assimilated artificial pearls. Ones that cost me over 60 bucks to win them on the Elks Club punch board. Well, you want to wear them to dinner tonight? 
No. When I go out to dinner, I like an oyster cocktail. Well, I mean... And uh, when I wear those pearls, I always feel the oysters are sneering at me. Now, oh. <laughs> uh, you can see how bad we need this wall tape, Molly. So stand back now so the plaster don't hit you. I always... Hold it, hatchet man. Yeah. Come in. Oh, good morning, Dr. Gamble. Hello, my dear. And take a go to you, possum puss. Hi, Bearfront. What are you doing with a hand axe, nuthead? Playing Indian again? He's putting in a wall safe, Doctor. Heaven help me. Oh, no. You're not planning to do a job like that by yourself. Why, certainly I'm going to do it by myself, you big septic. <laughs> what do you think them holes are over there where I picked the wrong spot? Well, don't you worry, Molly. You can get a room at the YWCA when your little one-man wrecking crew brings down the house. What are you talking about? Are you suggesting I can't do a simple job like this without tearing the house down? Do you remember the locker room at the Elks Club last week, my boy, when you decided to drive a nail in the wall to hang your clothes on? What happened, Doctor? Practically everything, Molly. He couldn't find a hammer, so he stuck the nail in a crack and belted it with a golf club. Mine, of course. I hit it, too. You certainly did. You drove it through the wall into the shower room where old man McDonald of the Third National Bank was taking a shower. Oh. Do any damage, Doctor? Well, the nail apparently went through just as McDonald stooped over to pick up a bar of soap. Made, uh, made quite a change in the old man's business method. Uh, how do you mean, Doctor? Well, he's the only banker in town these days who forecloses mortgages standing up. Go on, Molly. Billy Nelson is talking to us little San Francisco with a special arrangement of Golden Gate.
I finally found the right place for the wall safe this time, Molly, right over the mantel here. Well, I'm glad you finally made up your mind. Yep. If you'd have chopped in more holes in this wall, the entire house would have crumbled around our ears. <laughs> well, be it ever so crumbled, there's no place like home. <laughs> Gosh, don't you get it, kiddo? It's a part of the well-known song that goes... It's you... funny, McGee. <laughs> well, it sounded funnier if I'd have sung it. Be it ever so crumbled... Come in. Oh, hello, Ollie. Well, I don't know. I think so. Because you need a McGee. <laughs> Hi, Ollie. I'm kind of busy here, so don't bother me now. Hey, it's not killing so much, McGee. The sharp edge of the hatchet don't work for good. No? Try the flat side. <laughs> I'm not killing termites. I'm putting ourselves in a wall safe, boy. McGee, I tell you a hundred times, don't call me boy. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. If I'm a boy, I waste a lot of time shaving. <laughs> Okay, only school the center by a side age. But you like it if I call you an old man? No, no, because well, you keep calling a boy and you won't let you be an old man. <laughs> okay, it won't happen again. I'll try to remind him, Molly. See, how's all your family these days? Well, I hope. Yeah, no, I hope so, too, Matthew. My boy, Norris, is going to the Navy. He's home for a lot of vacation this week. Oh. He gets 10 days, uh, uh... No, you Scott here. <laughs> He gets 10 days vacation. Oh. I'll bet you were glad to see the lad. How is he? Well, he's just fine with us, only he wants the lad. He got his footsteps on by an army sergeant on the moors. An army sergeant? On the moors with the fleet? No, last tried to move between the sergeant and the big marine in the San Francisco dance hall. <laughs> oh, cut me up, huh? <laughs> yes, they was all here about him, and the sergeant bugged when he should have withered. <laughs> is having fun. Uh, how did you like San Francisco? Oh, he gets a big kick out of it, Mrs. Yeah. The people in San Francisco treated him fine, too. They just lean over backwards there. Yeah, to be nice to him, huh? No, to walk up those hills. Oh. Everybody needs to go back with more <laughs> It's a wonderful town to eat in, too, Ollie. They say the restaurant. Oh, yes. He used to and hollers about the seafood out there, missus. Yeah? They ate down on Fisherman's Fort. They'd have baked the 50-pound salmon with all the vegetables cooked inside of it. Hmm. Stop. Missus, he could hardly walk. <laughs> then he went into another place where they were serving a stewed crab that weighed 200 pounds. Oh, cut it out. A 200-pound crab. Ta-ta. McGee, was you ever on Lawson's boat? Oh, of course not. Then how do you know about Lawson's captain goes when he's food? So long, Lawson. Now I'm going to go back to work. Where's my hatchet? On the piano? Where's my plaster? What plaster? The plaster. I'm going to plaster on the surface when I get it in the... Oh, my gosh, I forgot to order any plaster. Find the phone, I'll call the hardware store. Hello, operator. Hey, the hardware store at 14th and... Oh, is that too hard? Ah, dear. How's that little thing, Mert? Here they. What's that, Mert? A little stranger at your sister's house. Ten pounds, eh? How sweet. What's the little one's name? They didn't ask him. The stranger was selling peanut brittle from door to door, and they bought ten pounds. <laughs> What's that, Mert? Okay. Mine's busy. I'll call later as soon as I finish this chopping on account of because I gotta get Hello, Molly. Hi, pal. Oh, it's Mr. Wilcox.